Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. Today I will speak about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody 25 years ago. US maintains banking sanctions against Iran. 61.9% of Americans believe US aid to Israel is too much. U.S. may open more bases in Iraq. And John Kerry and the legacy of Hiroshima. Aboriginal deaths in custody. As the 25th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody approaches, there are growing calls for the report's full list of recommendations to be adopted. Also, there are growing calls for governments to take action on Indigenous deaths in custody before the 25th anniversary of the 1991 Royal Commission. Amnesty International Australia is seeking the inclusion of justice targets in the existing Close the Gap targets, arguing that Indigenous rates of incarceration are at their highest since the Royal Commission. Julian Cleary, Amnesty International Australia's Indigenous campaigner, says of the hundreds of recommendations to come out of the 1991 Royal Commission, only a handful have been implemented by federal and state governments. He said a quarter of a century ago governments had a chance to act but tragically they ignored the advice. Failing to set national justice targets proves that governments don't want to be held accountable for the astronomical rates at which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are locked up. The call is being backed up by Gary Oliver, the CEO of the New South Wales ACT Aboriginal Legal Service, who argues justice targets ensure governments are bound to delivering reduced imprisonment rates. In New South Wales alone, prison population is at record levels, despite an overall drop in crime rates. The truth is that more than one-third of all the adults inside are Aboriginal and over half the children inside are Aboriginal. Mr Oliver linked the high rates of removal of Indigenous children from their family to higher rates of juvenile detention and imprisonment rates among adults. There are 6,000 Aboriginal children in out-of-home care in New South Wales, making up one-third of the total care population of more than 19,000 children. Research show there is a clear connection between the removal of children and juvenile detention. There is a need for care and justice targets in closing the gap. Victoria, Northern Territory and ACT have taken the steps of setting justice targets who urged other governments to do the same. 
Australian governments are better at keeping Indigenous kids locked up than keeping them at school. Governments must fund Indigenous-led programs to keep Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children out of detention. Politicians are finally realising that justice targets are necessary in reducing Indigenous imprisonment rates. We have been hearing the right words from governments of both persuasion, but we are yet to see national leadership to address the systematic inequality against Indigenous people. US maintains banking sanctions against Iran. Despite the lifting of international sanctions against Iran earlier this year, the United States government intends to continue denying Iranian companies access to the U.S. financial system. This highlights how the U.S. financial system is viewed not as a market-based system in which private companies are free to do what they want, but rather as a tool of the federal government used to carry out the government's policy aims. This continued refusal to allow Iranian access to the U.S. financial system also does just as much to hamper U.S. trade abroad as it does to harm Iranian industry. These continued banking sanctions against Iran do nothing to advance reconciliation with Iran, harm the business of U.S. banks, foreign operations, and continue to isolate the criticizing U.S. banking system from the rest of the world. The U.S. financial system will not always be the world's largest, freest, or most indispensable to international trade. As the rest of the world works to develop closer ties, the U.S. government seems intent on isolating itself. If the U.S. government continues with heavy-handed sanctions, it will get its wish. After years of criticizing other countries for helping rich Americans hide their money offshore, the U.S. is emerging as a leading tax and secrecy haven for rich foreigners. By resisting new global disclosure standards, the U.S. is creating a hot new market, becoming the go-to place to stash foreign wealth. Everyone from London lawyers to Swiss trust companies is getting in on the act, helping the world's rich move accounts from places like the Bahamas and the British Virgin Islands to Nevada, Wyoming and South Dakota. The U.S. is effectively the biggest tax haven in the world. 61.9% of Americans believe U.S. aid to Israel is too much. The U.S. has provided more aid since Israel's creation in 1948, $250 billion adjusted for inflation, than to any other foreign country according to unclassified government figures. These figures do not include separate funding flows from state and municipal governments that Israel organization quietly lobby in order to provide even more aid to Israel. American military and intelligence aid is now at 
unprecedented levels, according to President Obama in a 2015 speech delivered at American University. Since 1948, and even more so after the collapse of the Soviet Union, annual U.S. aid packages to Israel have largely been driven by the lobbying efforts of Israeli organizations in the United States rather than strategic or national defense calculations. The annual combined revenue of 336 distinct Israeli organizations is closely linked to the total unclassified annual U.S.-Israel aid package. Another non-military or intelligence agency has also played a role in gutting the accountability of Israel organizations such as the Wise Man Institute for Science which conducts nuclear weapons research. Although the Israeli government attempted to defeat a 2015 international agreement on Iran's nuclear program last year, the Joint Comprehensive Plan for Action, Israel is now seeking a massive increase in U.S. aid. U.S. may open more bases in Iraq. As they continue to push for ever more ground troops in Iraq, the Pentagon has confirmed that they are giving consideration to opening up more bases in the country or potentially reopening bases from the previous occupation with an eye towards getting more deeply involved in the war. It's hard to tell if bases aren't already happening, as Firebase Bell was operating for quite some time before the Pentagon was forced to admit to its existence when ISIS attacked the site and killed a Marine. They insisted they were planning an official announcement later that week. The U.S. has a treaty with Iraq capping the number of ground troops in the country at 3,870, though the Pentagon has conceded that they usually have in excess of 5,000 troops in Iraq at any given time. Speaking of U.S. bases, I would like to remind uh, listeners that this year marks the 50th anniversary of the joint U.S. and Australian intelligence base Pine Gap. Pine Gap is the commonly used name for a satellite tracking station approximately 18 kilometers southwest of Alice Springs, Northern Territory, which is operated by both Australia and the United States. Since 1988, it has been officially called the Joint Defence Facility Pine Gap. Previously, it was known as Joint Defence Space Research Facility. Partly run by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, U.S. National Security Agency, NSA, the station is key contributor to the global surveillance network. There will be events right up until we leave in September to protest and demand for the U.S.-based Pine Gap closure. We will have more information on this in our future programs. John Kerry and the Legacy of Hiroshima. 
U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry and fellow envoys from the G7 visited Hiroshima's Peace Memorial Park on the margins of summit meeting this week. Kerry was the highest-ranking American government official to visit the Peace Park, the memorial dedicated to the victims of the world's first nuclear attack on August 6, 1945. U.S. officials are considering a visit to Hiroshima by President Obama during his trip to Japan for the G7 in late May. Obama in 2011 expressed some interest in being the first sitting American president to visit the city. Fellow Nobel Peace Prize winner Jimmy Carter did visit Hiroshima in 1984 as a private citizen after leaving office. In 2011, in another first, the United States sent a lower-ranking official representative to the annual memorial service in Nagasaki. Current Ambassador Caroline Kennedy attended the Hiroshima memorial service to mark the attack's 70th anniversary last year. Like his official ancestors to Hiroshima, expressed empathy for the dead without acknowledging blame for the thing that killed them, almost as if it was an act of nature or that someone else had done it. The first American ambassador to visit Hiroshima wasn't until 2010, 65 years after the atomic bombing. Kerry's visit. 71 years after the attack occurred only in the company of his G7 colleagues and not on the highly symbolic day of August 6th. As the only nation to use nuclear weapons and to have used them against near-holy civilian targets and having used them under circumstances of arguable necessity one might expect 71 years later and now full allied with Japan some degree of reflection by the United States. In the United States sometime after with the public announcement in 1945 of the atomic bombings the message was manipulated into public consciousness that the bombs were not dropped out of hatred, revenge or malice but of military necessity. The attacks did not reflect American evil but were simply an unavoidable and ugly necessity of a war we didn't start. The bombs, we were told, saved millions of lives that would have been lost in a land invasion. Both American and Japanese souls would have perished in that invasion, which seemed to describe the atomic attacks as almost to the benefit of Japan. In that, we killed fewer people that way. The bombs were just the lesser of the two evils. It was war, and Hiroshima and Nagasaki were far from the first places civilians were targeted. And while other nations committed terrible actions in the Second World War, it is only the United States 
that has gone on to continue making war on a ground scale. The U.S. continues to maintain a deployed nuclear arsenal well beyond any defense needs and in grand excess of what possessed by other nuclear powers. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Alternative News brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betsen. Looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.